0: We are uh, we're going to finish up our series on community, and what I wanted to do is I wanted to finish up as we're going through the book of Ephesians. One of I, I think just a great chapter in this letter that Paul deals with. He, he deals with the marriage relationship in chapter five. So we're going to spend the next two weeks looking into that. And here's the thing: what I want to do this morning. What I want to do, whether you're single, you're you're looking to get married, or that, or you're not looking to get married, but you're looking to give good wisdom to people uh, that want to get married or, or family members or whatever, I think we've got some good truth here and God's Word to show us what a healthy marriage should be and what it should look like. But here's the thing I want to do this morning. We have to understand, first of all, what is marriage? And the wonderful thing about the Word of God is it defines what marriage is. And in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, God defines exactly what a marriage should be. Paul, uh, looking as he's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, even quotes Genesis chapter 2 and what a marriage should look like. The problem is if we don't have a biblical definition or a godly definition of what marriage is, we are left up to our own demise to describe or to or to define what marriage is and that's why we are in the mess we are today we don't know what it really means we leave it up to ourselves to describe really what a marriage is unless we understand what God has to say about marriage we are going to be in a lot of trouble now let me say this before I point at the world and and what our country is defining what marriage is, we need to look at ourselves. Because I think many Christians, as I do, marital counseling, and I've done probably I don't know how many tens, twenty, forty, sixty, eighty, a hundred marriages. I can I lost count over twenty-one years. I have the. I have our. I have the, the engaged uh, couple fill out a questionnaire asking me to define really what marriage is and what love is. And I'll be honest with you, probably 20%, maybe 30% get it right. 70, 80%, and many of these are Christian couples, still don't really understand. And that's okay because that's what Premarital counseling is all about. We can go through that and then redefine what marriage is so that they have a, a firm foundation going into their marriage. Now, some of you sit and, sitting here today and you say, Pastor, that ship has sailed. That is long gone. That's okay. I don't care if you've been divorced or if uh, you've been married for a lot of years. Um, this is stuff that we need to know and to understand what is God's definition of marriage so that we can reestablish establish our marriage and our relationships together to know what God desires for the marriage not what I desire not my definition of love but what is God's definition of love and marriage and I don't care if you've been married like me going on 22 years or you've been married my parents are going to be married 50 years this December 50 years 50 years (laughs) whoa that's awesome so I don't care if you married 50 years or 22 years or 100 years, which I don't think anyone here has been married 100 years or two days. I don't care. We need to understand, and I believe there's some things that you are going to learn here this morning that you never knew. And I believe that God's going to really work in your heart today to understand what is the covenant of marriage. So what we're going to look at it. We're going to look at a two-part series. We're going to first look at the covenant of marriage and then next week is the fun one. We're going to look at submission in marriage. <laughs> Pastor, that's a bad word. No, it's not. It's a good word if we understand the correct definition of it as it looks in the uh, married relationship. So first of all, if we're going to understand, we've got to understand this covenantal marriage that God establishes between a man and a woman. So we've been looking at, at the church What does the church look like? We've defined the church as we've been looking at community and marriages are part of the community of the church. So we define the church this way. The church is made up of us individuals who have been called out of this world and now belong to the body of Christ. And so what Paul says to the church in Ephesus, which is in a very pagan culture, as Paul writes to them in the first century, uh, Many of their married relations were very messed up, very immoral, and, and then Paul reiterates to these new believers, this is how your marriage is to look under God's plan. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to get very practical, and I believe Paul shares with us some very important characteristics of what the church should be and how the church should walk in love. So what we've been looking at, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And what I want to do here is, in this chapter, the end of the chapter, Paul talks about the relationship between a husband and a wife, but before he gets to that, in the beginning of chapter 5, he tells the listeners that they must walk in love. So before we just dive into this marriage uh, definition and what a marriage should be like, we've got to understand the context of what Paul is talking about here in chapter 5, because he says, marriages must flow out of something. And he tells the church, you must be spirit-filled, you must walk in love, you must walk in the spirit of God. And so he says, unless you're walking in the spirit of God, unless you are spirit-filled, you will never understand the full complexity of what marriage should look like. So marriages need to flow out of a life that is flowing the spirit of God and has the love of God that's flowing out of it. Now listen, I can give you all the tools and resources on on how to have a a good marriage, but the bottom line is God wants you to live a spirit-filled life that's in tune with his spirit, that that love and joy and peace and long-suffering is flowing out of it. Listen, the only way that you can be long-suffering and patient and your marriage as if you have the Spirit of God flowing out of your life. And I believe the more God's Spirit has a hold of your life, the more it's going to translate into a healthy marriage. So that's what Paul starts with. So we've got to start there. It's got to start with Spirit-filled living. So many say, okay, Pastor, just give me the tips. Just give me a book. Give me the one, two, threes on how to have a better marriage. Listen, I can do that for you, and it may work for like a day. Say, oh, I'm going to apply this tip to my married life. Ooh, this is good. I'm going to apply this. You know, it works for a day or a week. And then about two or three weeks later, it wears off. And it's like, okay, what happened? Why isn't this still going? You know why? Because you're not walking in the Spirit of God. Unless you walk in the Spirit, in the fullness of, of, of God's Holy Spirit, it's, it's just going to be weak. It's going to last for a couple of days. So Paul encourages the church, you've got to be Spirit-filled. So When we're walking in love, what Paul is saying here in this chapter, even before he gets into the married relationship, walking in love means that we're serving each other, that we're submitting to each other, and we do this out of reverence for Christ and what he's done for us. In the church, it's not who is best, it's not a competition. We should literally be lifting each other up. It's, it's, we're laying our lives down at the expense of someone else. That's what a spirit-filled church looks like, a spirit-filled person looks like. It's not jockeying for position. It's not forced submission. It's voluntary submission, where I voluntary, uh, voluntarily lay down my life at the expense of someone else because I want Christ to be lifted up in our midst. So what Paul does is he expresses this same thought in marriages if we're going to be a community of believers we must be submitting to each other lifting each other up praying for each other loving each other if that's not the emblem of the body of christ then we're just another civic organization that just functions something needs to be different about the church And if we're not loving each other, if we're not showing grace to one another, then we're just another group of people that get together, aren't we? There should be something different. The key mark of the church was the holy spirit that's what set the church apart and acts chapter 2 was the baptism and the power of the holy spirit that filled that early church that caused them to go out into the world and to literally change the world upside right for jesus christ not upside down upside right they got it right they did what was right in the eyes of god and lives were transformed because of the power of god and the holy spirit in these individual lives. So it's voluntary submission. So I believe this. The reason why I want to spend two weeks on talking about marriages is I believe a healthy marriage equals a healthy church. Healthy marriages equal a healthy church. Listen, the one thing that just, I'll be honest with you. Let me just be honest with you this morning. Sometimes I, religion and, ch- and just churchy stuff, how many know that uh, we can just play church, can't we? Let me just be honest with you. We can come to church, we, we dress up, we know the right things to say. and Then we end up getting in our cars after church and we we're arguing about the same fight that we had when we were fighting coming into church. Right? Has that ever happened to any of you where you had a little argument with your... That's why I don't drive with my family to church. We drive in separate cars because, you know, I remember as a teenager, you know, just getting in fights in church. Walk. Okay, now straighten up. We're in church now. We've got to show the pastor that we love each other, okay? And then you come in, you do your church thing, then you leave and you've got the same, same problems and then church just becomes a religious thing and then the kids see this and they see somebody that's totally different in church than somebody that's at home. And then they get real hypocritical in their view about church and about family because because what they see in church is what they don't see at home. And what, see, what they see at home is what they don't see at church. Listen, Paul says, l- l- let's take the mask off, at people. Let's take the mask off. I'm so sick of religion and religious stuff and just playing the game. And, playing this religious lingo this is who i want people to think that i am in church and meanwhile there's a whole different lifestyle man we need to expose that we need to say you know this ought not be lord we need to humble ourselves that doesn't mean we never have disagreements in our families or you never have arguments but but there's a way that we do it in love and respect and submission, where the enemy doesn't get a foothold into our family, into our relationships, where we're submitting and we're saying we're sorry to one another and we're humbling ourselves before one another and we're lifting each other up. And believe me, this is where it happens. If, if the enemy can get into the marriages, he knows eventually it's going to translate into the body of Christ. It's vital. Listen, people, it's vital that we get a hold of this, do Not put your marriage on the back burner. Do not say that this isn't important. If you don't think it's important, the devil does think it's important. And he's going to wreak havoc on your life if you don't put preeminent importance upon your marriage and your relationships with your marriage. And so we need to look at what Paul's saying here because he understands this is vital to a growing community of churches that marriages are good that marriages are healthy, that they're biblical, that we're following God's standards. So let's see what he has to say. If you've got your Bibles, look at Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 21 through 33. I like what Socrates had to say about marriage. He said, be by all means married. If you get a good wife, you'll become happy. If you get a bad one, you'll become a philosopher. So I just thought that was... Just throw that out before we get real into this deep, heavy discussion. Okay, so let's see what he has to say. Verse 21, remember, this thought of Paul, the beginning of five, is flowing into this next section of marriage. So verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, now he gets into these married relationships, okay? He said, wives, submit your husband as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body, for which he is Savior. And we are going to jump full force into that very verse next week. So come, bring your neighbors, bring your cats, bring your dogs. Next week, you want to hear that message. Verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, now as the church, the body of Christ submits to Christ... Okay, this is the flow of thought he's saying here about reverence and submission to one another. So also wives submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word and to present her to, to, present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy, and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one has ever hated his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are all members of his body. For this reason a man shall leave his father. Here he's quoting Genesis 224. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Okay, let me, let, let's get into this. These verses are probably some of the most misunderstood, misquoted, misused, abused verses in all of Scripture. I'm just going to be honest with you. So we're going to really biblically try to define this so we understand it correctly. A healthy church begins with a healthy marriage. So whether you've been married for years or you're single, you need to understand what these verses mean. So what I want to do is, I I just like what Paul says in the preceding verses here and, and, and how he explains to them how they are to... Walk in love and, and walk in a spirit-filled life. You, you don't have to, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, you can. But I just want to read verses 15 of the, of the same chapter because this is what Paul says. Because if we understand the context here, we can understand how it flows into our married lives. Verse 15 is in chap, the same chapter says, Be very careful then how you live your lives, not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. God has a will for your married life. Do you realize that? Okay, it's not what color your house is going to be. It's not what color the car you're going to drive. God could care less about those. Well, I don't know if he cares less about them, but, but he cares more about the holiness within your marriage. How you're treating one another in your marriage. And man, we're going to hit a chapter in Malachi that will blow your face off this morning, okay? Because Malachi the prophet just speaks to the heart of Israel and how they were just missing it. They were so concerned with other things and God's not even listening to their prayers because they're not concerned with the things that God is concerned with. I'm fired up, so just hold on. You better buckle your seatbelts, okay? Look at verse 18. He says, "Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, all kind of immorality. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs." Okay, remember, this verse is flowing into married lives, too. When's the last time you sang to your spouse? I looked at Kathleen there, Dan I said, "You are my lady." you everything I need. No, I'm just, I didn't do that. <laughs> then she threw up and then we... Okay, so speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Boom, now he goes right into marriages. So this thought of marriages is flowing out of the context of reverence and submitting to one another and walking in love and building each other up. And until we understand the context of this verse, we're not going to understand the power that God wants to give you in your married lives. So I love this. You you may, you know, you may say, Pastor, I I I get this, I understand this. The problem is then why In the world that we have so many disastrous marriages In Christian marriages as much as in the world Because I believe we're not understanding The context of this marriage definition That Paul gives us So what does a spirit-filled life Or spirit-filled living have to do with marriages It has everything to do with marriages And I believe spirit-filled living carries over Into our marriages. Paul continues this train of thought into our marriages. It's God's desire for us to be spirit filled, have spirit filled marriages, marriages that honor God, marriages that pray together, marriages that mutually submit to one another, marriages that honor the covenant they made before God. Marriages that truly love one another, marriages that serve each other. A spirit-filled marriage is one that honors God and allows God to indwell them and lead them. A spirit-filled marriage is a covenant marriage that speaks covenant language. A spirit-filled marriage is one that submits and respects each other. So we're going to look at the covenant marriage today. the the submission that comes into marriage next week. So let's talk about this covenant marriage. So to understand Paul's thoughts about submission and to correctly understand what Paul meant, we need to understand what is a covenantal marriage that God established between a man and a woman. Here is God's plan for marriage this is his definition we've got to get this down god's plan for marriage was to be a covenant marriage between a husband and a wife that's what god's desire was that's what god's desire was from the very beginning so let's answer the question what is a covenant marriage in the book of genesis god establishes this relationship between who Adam and Eve, So God said, listen, I will create a helper for him. God created Eve from man, from his rib, from his side, not from his head, that he would dominate her or from his feet that he might trample on her, but from his side that he might command, that she might command and receive his love side by side, that she would have his loyalty and his trust and his love. So the wife is not man's clone. She was to be his complement. She would fit him. She would match him. They were to literally be one flesh, both both physically and spiritually and emotionally. In this relationship, God officiated the first wedding. And the two things that we can see right away is that there was leaving and there was uniting between this two couple. Leaving the covering of their parents and then uniting with this covenantal marriage with his wife, I'd like to, the the English standard version uses the word hold fast or the new uh, the international v- version uses the word unite to hold fast or to unite is very, very important that we understand this in the marriage relationship. This is more. ...than a casual relationship. It's more than a contract. It's more than a license. It's more than a ring on your finger. It's even more than love. Yes, I said it. It's even more than love. How many know that love doesn't necessarily keep a marriage together? Because people fall in love and then they fall out of love very easily. Just as quick as they fell in love... People can fall out of love. You can have somebody that looks across a crowded room and sees a person over there and looks at his friend and says, I'm in love. How do you even know? You don't even know. Well, I just know. I'm in love. Because you're basing everything on your feelings. And what did we discover? And what did we define about love? Love is not a feeling as much as it is a choice. We choose to love. God demonstrates his love for us that while we were still what? Sinners. Jesus still died for us. He didn't wait till we were lovable. He chose to die for us even when we were sinners. So in this relationship, it's got to be more than all those things. The bottom line is, to God, marriage is a covenant. And until we see it that way, then marriage will be left up to anyone to define A biblical marriage is defined between a man and a woman who are joined together under God's authority. This is what the Bible says. You can argue with me all day long on what you think marriage is, but I'm going to go to what God says marriage is. I want to know what the Bible defines marriage. I want to do what God's will is in my marriage. So we have to look at what then is a covenant Why is marriage seen more than just love or a contract or a ring on my finger or somebody that I just like a lot and I just want to spend the rest of my life with? Why must we define marriage as a covenant? Because when you see marriage as a covenant, it will hold that marriage together. Because not only will you understand what God desires in that covenant relationship but you'll start living it out in your marriage as a covenantal marriage relationship through the way you speak to one another you know many marriages are just two people that like each other and they're just kind of friends we just like each other and we're just spending time and we love each other and that's about it and some marriages they get divorced after 20 or 30 years because once the kids leave the house they say well we've got nothing more in common because the kids because the kids were our whole life they never had a covenant marriage. They had a marriage that was based in kids or, or mutual likeness or mutual hobbies. What? There's got to be so much more than that. And there is when we see marriage as a covenant. So what is it? The word covenant, let's first define it in the Old Testament, has basically four essential components. What is this covenant? Well, a covenant usually four things that were required from it. It required a relationship between two people that was with non-relatives, which involved many obligations. So you had this requirement of a relationship between two people with non-relatives and involved an obligation and it was established through an oath. And as we look through the Old Testament, we can see many covenants that god established with people he was the covenant giver to establish his relationship with someone that god would be faithful to see that covenant through and here are a couple Uh, god established a covenant with noah not to flood the earth again not to judge the world in that way again god established a covenant with with abraham that he said i will establish a great nation from you We are all Abraham's children. We are all engrafted into that through Christ, that we are all Abraham's children. And we are all products through Christ Jesus of that promise that God gave to Abraham. God established a covenant with Moses. He gave him the commandments, which gave blessings and curses if not followed. So the Bible, here's the interesting. Some of you may have never understood this or knew this, But the Bible calls the marriage a covenant relationship that God establishes between a husband and a wife. And let me just give you a couple passages that speak to this. Proverbs 2.17 says, who forsake the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. The proverb writer, they're speaking of a marriage covenant. They forgot the covenant that God had established in that marriage relationship. Now, here's the verse that I want to dive into. Because Malachi, more than any other prophet, talks about marriage being a covenant and how important it is to the Lord. Now, let me give you a little background. Malachi is, is, is a prophet who's speaking to Israel, who has established the temple. The established has been rebuilt after uh, their exile and 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 people really during this time I want you to understand something. People aren't they weren't engrossed in engrossed idolatry worship. They were worshiping God. They were going to the temple, but it was bad. It was sloppy. That they, they were still living immoral lives. They weren't giving to the temple. They weren't tithing. The priests weren't really doing what God had totally... They were kind of doing it half-heartedly, and there really wasn't a lot of motivation behind it. There wasn't a lot of sincerity behind it. They were just divorcing their wives like it was nothing. And, And so what Malachi does is he speaks to the heart of the matter of where they have missed it. And yeah, they may have been worshiping God, but their hearts weren't there. They were still living in sin, and God needed to correct them. And through the voice of the prophet Malachi, he says this, He says, another thing you do. Listen, this is scary because, man, if we're not careful here and we don't listen to the voice of the Lord, we can easily fall into this trap. And some of us have. And thank God for God's correction. But it says, another thing you do. You flood the Lord's altar with tears, which means they're coming before the Lord. They're crying before the Lord. They want God to bless them. He says, you weep and wail because... He no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hand. See, they're upset because they're going to the temple, they're offering the sacrifices, but God's not accepting their sacrifices. For this reason, he answers the question. You ask why? It's because the Lord, Yahweh, is acting as a witness between you and who? The wife of your youth. Because you have broken faith with her. Because she is your partner, the wife of your marriage. What does it say there? Covenant. Covenant. You broke faith. You're coming to the altar. You're offering up the sacrifices. But God ain't listening. Because you are not in his will. You're not listening to his word. You need to get your marriage relationship straightened out before you come to the altar and offer me a sacrifice. Whoa, okay. Listen to what he says. Has not the Lord made them one? God sees this as vitally important because it's a covenant relationship. It's not just a love relationship. It's not just a casual relationship relationship. It's a oneness covenant relationship. And flesh and spirit are his? And why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. Here's the problem. They wanted God's blessing but he was rejecting them for breaking the covenant with their wives. Here's the thing I want you to see. Both passages speak to the importance of marriage, the marriage vow, and what they made to each other. And God does not take that lightly. Amen. He doesn't take it lightly. A marriage covenant is not just a contract. It's more than a piece of paper it's not just between two people it's a husband and a wife and god is the witness between that covenant now this is how bad it's gotten in our world some scandinavian countries will now let you renew your marriage license like you would your driver's license so after a certain amount of years if you don't want to renew your marriage No more messy divorces, no more Shapiro, no more The Hammer, no more whatever it is you see on TV, no more of that stuff. It's simply over. You don't have to renew. That's the way they see marriage. They see marriage as a license. God sees it as a covenant. That's contractual marriage when you just see it as a license, not covenantal. God made a covenant with us. Here's where I want to relate it. Because some of you may sit here, may sit here and say, well, pastor, I really messed up on my marriage. You know, things didn't go the way I wanted it to. Listen, here's the great thing about God's grace. God understands that and knows that. And when we humble ourselves before him, he can renew it and restore it to the way it ought to be. Amen. I mean, my parents didn't necessarily do it right. They got married when they were 18 years old. They eloped to Charleston, South Carolina when they were 18 years old. That's not real smart. That They did it behind their parents' back, and it was just they got married, and um, they went to Florida to her grandmother's uh, house to, to to have their um, honeymoon, and they didn't do it right. And, and they weren't Christians for many years into their marriage until I was about a, a seventh or eighth grade when... When they truly committed their hearts to the Lord and they went through uh, a marriage uh, seminar a weekend together. And uh, God completely transformed their marriage through that. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember the marriage encounters. And you guys remember the marriage encounters? Raise your hand if you remember the marriage encounters. Okay. I had to sit through those classes, they had classes for the kids. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't even a Christian. I'm like, why am I here? My parents are all lovey-dovey now. What's going on? One thing I did like about it is we went on our first vacation after that. They said, we're going to take a family vacation to Florida. I go, I love these marriage seminars. Go on another one, guys, if you want to. It's great. I love it. Um, and I remember thinking in the back of my head when when they really committed themselves to Christ and they their marriage was renewed and you could see Christ doing a great work. in the I remember thinking in the back of my mind, with was Thinking in the back of my mind, thinking, okay, I want to see how long this is going to last. Well, 32, 33 years later, it's still going on. So, must have been God. I guess, it must have been a God thing then. I guess it all worked out good. See, even, even doing it the wrong way and maybe doing it out of God's plan or his perfect plan doesn't mean that God still can't renew and restore. Why did God speak to Malachi? Just to condemn them, to leave them in their shame? No, to tell them, this is what God desires. You can repent and I can restore what I originally intended for marriage. So you may be sitting here today and you may be a product of a bad marriage. There's hope for you today that God says, listen, now follow my will. And with that person, if you choose to, Get remarried again. Listen, do it the right way. Do it in my will. Meet that person that understands this so that you have the marriage that I desire for you to have. Amen? So there's hope for you today. It wasn't just a condemning word. It was a word of hope for them to to get back to what God desires them to do. And here's, here's the fulfillment of this covenantal marriage. God made a covenant with us through Christ, through His blood, This is his new covenant. God's salvation comes to us through this covenant. And so we know that that through Christ Jesus, he literally binds himself to us by forgiving, uh, forgiving us of our sins. This is the covenant that God makes to us through his son, through his blood. It just wasn't words. Jesus literally laid his life down for us and shed his blood to seal that covenant with you and I. Now, isn't that the same language that Paul is using for the husbands with their wives? Listen, Paul never tells the husbands what? To submit. Paul never tells the wives To love their husbands. He says you need to submit and respect them as the head. And we'll get more into that next week. Because I don't want to preach my message for next week. But what does Paul tell the husbands? You are to what? Love your wives as Christ has what? And gave his life. There's the covenant. He sealed that covenant relationship with God by giving his life for you and I. That's covenantal language. That's saying, I'm gonna, I'm not just gonna talk about it and say, I love you, blah, 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 and sing a couple love songs. I'm literally laying my life for you. I'm laying my blood down for you because I love you. And I'm gonna seal it in my sacrifice because I love you. And so he established that new covenant between us and God that through Christ Jesus we now have a new covenant relationship with God one that's not enemies with God any longer but one that's now at peace in harmony guilt free that I can now stand before a holy God because of what Christ has done for me and I can lift up holy hands and thank God even though that I'm a sinner and I deserve death only through Christ Jesus and through this new covenant that I can lift my hands up guilt free knowing what Christ has done for me That's a new relationship with God, amen? Listen, it's not by what you do or what you don't do or how often you go to church. That's just guilt-driven relationship with God. That's not the relationship God wants to have with you. He wants to have that relationship with you through his son and the covenant that he made with his son. So covenantal language says this. God tells us because of what Christ has done for us, God says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you Nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. That's covenantal language. To my wife, I'm saying, listen, I made a covenant, not just before you, but ultimately before God, that I will never leave you nor forsake you. I want to do everything in my relationship with my wife to make her feel secure in that relationship. So I want to cover her financially, with support, with love, with submission as I serve her. I want her to feel secure in everything we do so that she doesn't have to second guess, does Barden love me? Do we ever second guess whether or not Christ loves us? We don't have to second guess that. Why? Because of his death on the cross for us. He secured it. And that's why we can believe what he says. So in that relationship, man, in your relationship with your wives, what are you doing to make her feel secure? Man, if I'm just going to smack you upside your head, if you do things like you don't tell her where you're going or it's none of her business, I will punch you. I don't care how big you are. I will punch you right in the mouth. 165 pounds will take you down. No, I'm just teasing. Listen, listen, nothing drives me more crazy than a husband who makes his wife feel insecure. You want to fair-proof your marriage? You start making your wife feel secure in that relationship because she'll look for it for some some other place. What are we doing to to secure that? And it goes the same way with the wives. What are you doing to encourage your husband? You know, and we'll talk about that more next week. But listen... We want to do everything to secure that covenantal relationship, not destroy it. Covenantal language says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. So what are we doing to create an environment that secures that relationship? Well, the best thing you can do, husbands, men, the best thing you can do is you make your wife feel secure in that relationship by covering her, by supplying for her needs, by listening to her. By making her feel secure in that relationship. She should be the object of your affection. You should not be, you should not have a wandering eye. You should never tell her in front of her, oh, isn't that woman beautiful? I will smack you in the head again. You don't do that stuff. Man, she you tell her how beautiful she is all the time. Make her feel secure. She puts on those pair of jeans. You tell her she looks skinny. You tell her all the time, okay? I'll give you license to lie. <laughs> and, and the minute she says, do these jeans make me look fat? Don't even hesitate. Many minute you hesitate, you're done. Just say, no, they don't. You look great. I love them. Whew. Let's move on. <laughs> Honey, I'm going to go do the dishes for you right now, okay? Really? Okay, I like that. Husbands are to tell their wives, I love you, I will never leave you, I'm committed to you. That's not contractual, that's covenantal language. Okay, so here's God's desire for you, to start thinking and speaking covenantal language. God has a design for the man to be the leader or the head of the home, and if men are to lead, then this is how it should look. A contractual marriage says, how does it benefit me? What am I getting out of this? I want to come to terms that benefit me. That's a contractual marriage. Half is yours, half is mine. A covenantal marriage says, how does this benefit my spouse how can i serve her what am i doing to serve her well-being the bottom line is every covenantal marriage needs a head if it's going to work someone needs to have the authority someone who will manage and give oversight to the well-being of that covenant and giving it the highest priority that person the bible says is christ christ is over that covenant as the husband submits to christ so shall the wife submit to the husband in that covenant relationship so we ultimately submit to christ for this reason jesus gave himself for the church and he is our example he is the perfect example of what it means to serve what it means to sacrifice what it means to love and when that becomes the hallmark of your married relationships it's amazing how those nitpicky minimal arguments begin to fade away i'll tell you how you get over arguments and nitpicking in your marriage learn to serve each other that's how you do it if you say pastor we argue all the time we argue you know listen i said it last week when I do marriage counseling and you boil it all down, you know what it boils down to? Selfishness. One person is not getting what they want. It boils down to self. And the minute we lay that selfishness down and we become a, we stop becoming a contractual marriage, like you're supposed to do this because you're my wife and you're supposed to do that because you're my husband and pastor said so because we just read it in the scripture. Don't be using me. <laughs> Keep me out of it. I got nothing to do with it. So what does he say? We need to listen to Christ because if we're going to look at the head of Christ, if he's the keeper of that covenant relationship, listen to me, if he's the overseer of it, then we are to follow his example. Do you get the language that Paul is using? Jesus laid his life down for the church as a sacrifice so the emblem of a covenantal relationship is a sacrifice that's why paul said for husbands to lay their lives down for their wife not as some macho thing not as some heroic thing like we see in the middle ages no he's saying it because it's a covenant that's how important you see this relationship that you're willing to do this for your spouse. So really, it's symbolic of servanthood. It's symbolic of laying your own needs down for the betterment of the other person. Now, does that mean you become a doormat and you just let the other person do whatever they want to do? That's not what I'm talking about. Anything that causes you to sin and causes you to go out of God's will is not what the Bible speaks to. This is voluntary submission where i willingly do it i willingly lay my rights down i willingly say you know what i'm not going to get my way in this matter because i'm going to willingly lay this thing down before the lord because i want christ to be glorified it's a willing voluntary submission so we ultimately submit to christ jesus gave his life for the church, he is our example. He is a perfect example of what it means to serve, what it means to sacrifice, and what it means to love. And it is the same with men in the marriage relationship. We are called to lead our wives. And we're going to get deep into this next week. I know, what, I know what you're already thinking. You're already a step ahead. I know what some of you are thinking. I know it right now. Can I tell you what you're thinking? I'm not going to tell you what. No, let me tell you what you're thinking. You're thinking right now, some of you are sitting here today, and saying, what if my husband's not doing that? What do I do now? Come next week, we're going to talk about it, okay? So I'm going to leave you hanging right there. We're going to talk about that because even the Bible addresses that. So you're thinking, well, my husband. So, But you're here. Husbands, you're here. So good. So listen, okay? If not, drag your husbands with you here next week. Okay. So in the same way, it is to be with men. We are called to lead and care for Our wife. So the question is this is your marriage contractual marriage or is it covenantal? You need to ask yourself some of these questions. You need to be bold. Some of you need to sit face to face today and get some FaceTime, not through a phone, not through Skype, not through texting, not through Facebook. (laughs) Face to face. Sick of modern media sometimes. It's just an excuse not to have personal relationships sometimes. It is easy to communicate with. But, anyways, okay. I come back. All you Facebook junkies, okay? I'm going to have a whole message on just Facebook addicts, okay? No, I'm just teasing. We have about three people come to church that week. Okay, so here it is. Some of you need to get some FaceTime with your spouse and ask some hard questions. And the first question you need to ask is, are we speaking covenantal language to each other? And if not, how can we change that? And here's what you ask. The husbands ask the wives these questions. Honey, what is it that I do that validates you, that makes you feel secure in the relationship? And men I'll tell you right now, your wife will sit there for 45 minutes and tell you all the things that she that makes her feel validated. She will. She'll tell you exactly. And you're like, really? You mean when I did that for you? You mean when I just did the dishes without you asking me, that validated you and made you feel secure? You know what she's going to say? Yeah. I mean, when I just did this for you without you even asking, that validated you and made you feel secure? Yeah. It, 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 it's going to be things that you never thought. It's going to be things that are going to blow your mind. So now you begin to do things that validate her and make her feel secure in the relationship, okay? Husbands, let your wife spend money on their hair. If they want to spend $60, $70 on their hair, let them do it, okay? That just was from the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's move on, okay. (laughs) Because God had to work that in my spirit, okay? (laughs) Just don't, I said, Kevin, just let me look at the checkbook. Let me pray about it. The Lord speak to my heart. Amen. So same thing. Wives, ask your husband, what are some things that I say to you that validate you? What are some things that make you feel secure? That's covenantal language because what you're doing is not only uniting together, but you're building each other up with words of encouragement, because how many of you know we, we, we love to, we, we, we nitpick at each other. We do, because we're married and we love each other. So we spend 90% of our time nitpicking at each other and 10% of our time actually saying, hey, that was really good. You know what, I really appreciated when you said that or when you did that or the way you treated the kids or the way you fixed the car, you know. I know I take that for granted sometimes that you take care of some of these things, you know, whether, whether it's mowing the lawn or what I don't know whatever it is. Just say, you know what, I really appreciate you doing that because... I take you for granted. And you, you do, man, you mow the lawn great. I don't know anybody else that can mow the lawn like you mow the lawn. I'm telling you, for guys, come on. Thank you. Man, I mow the lawn good. Yeah, thank you. Then we look, I know what some of you guys, do, as you get done mowing the lawn, you walk around your lawn and you look around and go, man, that looks good. And you did nothing. Your lawnmower did also. What are you? Who are you guys? Just come on. Get over yourselves. Okay. So, okay. So, here are the questions, do, but then ask yourself, am I, if it's contractual, then I'm doing things that only benefit me. Do I do things for my spouse in order to manipulate to get my way? Do, do I do everything with my ability to protect and to care for my wife? Do, do my words bring life or death to my spouse? Because for most relationships, it's a slow death. That happens over year. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a slow death because there are not words. They're not covenantal words. They're contractual words. And after a while, that marriage becomes lifeless and dead and just meaningless. So let's be careful. Do they bring life? So, so if you were to describe your marriage, let's be honest with her. If you were to describe your your married relationship right now, would you describe it as Mayberry? Peaceful. Andy sitting on the front porch after church on Sunday morning, playing his guitar. Aunt B making an apple pie, A little stew on the on the. Or would you describe it as New York City, loud gunshots going off everywhere, people running for cover. Okay, well, how would you you know, how would you describe it? So here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the good news. You can renew your covenant through your commitment. So take those steps to make your marriage a covenantal one. Jesus just didn't talk about it, and this flows into communion perfect, because Jesus just didn't talk about it. He secured that covenant relationship with us to God by sacrificing for us. If you begin to do that in your married relationship, I guarantee you will see healing, love will flow through, God will ignite that marriage again that needs to be. If you've been married and you feel your marriage is healthy, then continue in that and begin to take it to another level. Now, here's what I want to do before we take communion. In the back of your seats, because I know some of you have have tons of questions, and, and I know... Um, some of you have specific situations and so on and so forth and you have a lot of questions about marriage. What I'm going to do for you, this is because I love you guys, what I'm going to do is this. In the back of your seats is a white blank card and before you leave today, any question that you have about marriage that you want me to mar- answer, I will ta- I can't answer all of them. I'd have to spend a whole day doing it. I'd have spent a whole three months doing that, but I'm going to take, like, the top five questions because normally people, when you ask questions, they all have kind of the same thing or close to it, and I'll try to answer them for you. So in the back of your seat, you can take out that little card. I don't care who you don't put your name on it because I'm not going to get up and say, okay, Susie Q said that, you know, and then embarrass you. I'm not going to do it. So don't put your name on it. Um, and uh, so this will be all confidential. And I don't care if you're a teenager and you have a question. I don't care if you're Ruth Brooks and she has a question. I'll, I'll answer it. I'll, I'll answer any question. Have. Actually, I'll have Ruth come up and answer the questions for you because she'll probably do a lot better job. So um, fill out that card. And what you can do is you can either leave it at your seat or hand it at the information table, give it to me, whatever you want to do, just confidentially if you want to leave it at your seat or just, just leave it there and we'll pick them up later and, and we'll try to hit some of those questions next week. Amen? So I want to hear what you have to say, and some of you are struggling. Some of you are—you need some questions. How do I? How do I deal with this? How do I, And we're going to hit some of these next week too. And I know some of you need uh, some of that assurance in your marriage. So, so let Here's the thing. Wherever, whatever state you're at today, whether you're single, you're married, your marriage isn't where it's supposed to be. Maybe your marriage—you feel like—is where it's supposed to be. How can I take that to the next level? Is my marriage defined by a covenantal-style marriage or contractual? And I don't care if you've been married for 40 years and you call yourself Christians and you guys have been Christians your whole marriage. That doesn't necessarily make it a covenantal marriage. Are you hearing me? Let's make it a covenantal one. What are we doing to secure what Christ has done for us within our marriage relationships? And listen... You will have, that doesn't mean you're never going to fight or argue, but you're going to do it in a totally different way now. That doesn't mean you're never going to go through issues or problems in your relationships, but that means now you're going to do it differently because you know ultimately Christ is the head of that relationship. And what God has brought together, let no man put it under. Amen? What God has brought together, So listen, you want to do everything in your marriage relationship to make that one. You want to make that marriage relationship where God said, the husband shall leave his father, mother, and he should cling and unite to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Covenantal marriage. Jesus gave his life for us. We are now one in Christ Christ because what he's done for us on that cross. Amen? Covenantal marriage. Covenantal relationship that God wants to have with you through his son, Jesus. Amen? So let me pray for you. And then we're going to prepare our hearts for communion. And uh, let me just say this. I just feel God dropped this into my spirit. Some of you married couples here today, as you take communion, Take it together. Take it together today. Maybe you just need to look at your spouse. (laughs) And you don't have to go into deep detail because we don't have enough time. And just look at your spouse and say, I'm sorry, before you take communion. And they know exactly what you're talking about. And just say, I'm sorry. I hear what pastor's saying. We're going to work this out. I haven't been the wife or the husband I'm supposed to be. And before you take communion, that's how serious communion is, just look at your spouse, because we're going to show you a video, and you can do it during the video. Just look at your spouse and say, I'm sorry. I need to work on some things. Be patient with me. And let God do a healing right here in this place. Amen. I think that's from the Holy Spirit. I like when he does that. Amen? So let us me pray for you. Let's pray. Let's ask God to just touch our hearts. Lord, none of us are perfect. Lord, all of us need improvement in our marriages. All of us need a right definition of what marriage is. And I pray right now, God, for every single person in this place that they would start obeying you and what it means to have a covenantal marriage. That they would see it so much more than just falling in love with somebody, but actually it's something that God brings together, that God puts His hand on, that God blesses. And what keeps a marriage together is not love, but it's coming under God's covenant plan and realizing that marriage is so much more than just about meeting my needs, it's about caring for someone else and laying my life down for that person just as christ did for me if we can see marriages as symbolic of what christ did for the church lord i believe you're going to do some great things in some marriages today so we thank you for communion we pray that you would cleanse our hearts we thank you lord that we're to examine our hearts and examine our lives we pray that you would do that lord we pray that our hearts would be open and receptive to you and lord We know that communion is open to all that have received you as Lord and Savior. And so I pray for everyone here that if they don't take it, that's fine. But it's for those who have received you as Lord and Savior. And so, Lord, I pray for your forgiveness and your cleansing power now as we take communion, Lord. We love you and we praise you. And I pray you would just begin to do healing, that every marriage here would turn from contractual to covenantal. And that, God, you would do the work. Thank you for the example that we have in Christ and what we need to do. So I pray just for your blessing on every marriage in this place, every single person, God, every person looking for that mate, God, that it would be established and grounded in your word. And we praise you and we love you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just prepare your hearts. Look at the video. The video's video is playing. The ushers can come down. You guys can start preparing prepare yourselves. Take communion. Amen. Look up at the screens. God bless you. as the ushers serve you as the worship team leads us in worship just um we'll, we'll take communion together so just wait to the to the end and we'll pray over the elements and uh, so God bless you as you worship him as the ushers serve you god bless you gave your body for us, that your blood was spilled, Lord, to secure that covenant relationship with God the Father. And it's only through this sacrifice that this covenant could even happen or be established. And so, God, you secure yourself to us, not because of anything I've done, but for the simple reason of everything that Christ has done for me already. So we put our trust in you. And God, I pray that you would just bring your forgiveness and your healing and your cleansing. As Jesus said, whenever we do this, we do this in remembrance of him and what he's done for us. And so, Lord, we ask that you would examine our hearts. We lay them open before you, that you would cleanse us anew and afresh. No one in this place is perfect. We all have made mistakes and we need your touch. We need your forgiveness. We need your cleansing power in our lives. We know how wayward our hearts are, how deceitful they are, and we need your your strength, Jesus, today. So thank you for your cleansing power. Thank you for this bread. Thank you for your body that was given for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's partake of the bread together. Thank you, Lord. And God, for this cup, we are grateful. For we understand, without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of our sin. So we thank you, Jesus, that you literally laid your life down for us, and that three days later you proved indeed that you were God by conquering death, by conquering the grave. And that's where our hope is today: that our sins cannot hold us down any longer. We don't have to be captivated by them. We don't have to be ruled by them. Satan doesn't use them anymore to bring fear over our lives because when we are in Christ we have newness of life and he grants eternal life for all those who have received him so thank you for the hope that's found in this cup today that through your sacrifice and through your resurrection we can find hope today so bring your cleansing to every heart here today as we bow our hearts before you in Jesus mighty name amen amen Amen. let's partake of the cup together Amen. listen before you go, pray for me for next week. These are These aren't easy messages and I know they're not easy for us to listen to because we've all made mistakes in these areas. So let's let's be in prayer. Yeah. Amen Just for next week that God will continue to do His work in individual lives. I just want to tell you I love you. thank you for, for just being patient and listening to God's word and my prayer for you is that you would apply this your lives i'm with you i'm married too all right so i'm with you too i got to live by it myself so it's not easy i know that we all need god's help but i know this one thing when god begins to restore and bring life and health to marriages it translates into his family and that's what we desire we want to have a healthy church and do god's will in our individual lives amen So God bless you guys. If uh, any of you need prayer for anything, our prayer partners will be up front. We'll pray for you with whatever you're going through today. But otherwise, God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Amen.